Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, February 29th. Coming up, women now make up most of the veterinarians in the U.S., but they still face skepticism and even discrimination in rural areas where there's a shortage of vets. They called a vet out, but they're not expecting you, and by you I mean a woman, and you step out and they're thinking there's no way you can do this. Plus, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly is again pushing lawmakers to expand the health care program Medicaid, but Republican leaders are staunchly opposed, including House Speaker Dan Hawkins. She truly believes that the government should take care of everybody, and I don't. I believe that we all have an individual responsibility. We'll hear more on the political fight over Medicaid expansion and what it means for low-income Kansans. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs say their plans to renovate Arrowhead Stadium will cost $800 million and will keep them playing at the venue for the foreseeable future. Greg Eklund reports the plan will only happen if Jackson County voters renew a three-eighths of a percent sales tax that's on the April 2nd ballot. Unlike the Kansas City Royals, who've cited structural concerns at Kauffman Stadium next door, the Chiefs plan to upgrade and stay in Arrowhead. Chiefs President Mark Donovan chalked the contrast up to construction differences. There's a very simple answer. Believe it or not, bad batch. So one team got a good batch of concrete and one team didn't. Renovations won't start until after the World Cup in 2026. The Chiefs played their first game at Arrowhead in 1972, one year before the Royals opened their venue. New data finds 1,700 abortions happen each month in Kansas, according to the Society of Family Planning. Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service reports that's up from about 900 in 2022 before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas have banned the procedure in most cases since the Roe decision, causing more people to travel to Kansas for abortions. Meanwhile, the national monthly average has remained fairly steady. Kansas clinics have expanded their capacity, but say they still don't have enough appointments to treat everyone who calls seeking an abortion. The Missouri House of Representatives has given initial approval to a bill that would stop public funds, including Medicaid reimbursements, from going to abortion providers or their affiliates. Sarah Kellogg reports it's the latest effort from Republicans to defund Planned Parenthood. The Missouri Supreme Court ruled two weeks ago that the legislature's attempt to defund Planned Parenthood through the budget was unconstitutional. The court offered a similar ruling back in 2020. Unlike prior attempts, this legislation makes the change through the state statute instead of through the budget. House Democrats spoke against the legislation, including Representative Barbara Pfeiffer. If we say that the only health care provider for women's health in large swaths of our state cannot be funded... Who's going to do it? The legislation needs one more vote in the House before it moves to the Senate. We'll be back after this. Back in 1908, Kansas City biscuit businessman Jacob Luce was locked into a bitter rivalry with Nabisco when he had this idea for a chocolate sandwich cookie, unlike anything on the market. The Hydrox had this, like, really elaborate laurel wreath and this 
really elaborate font. It was like a very broke sort of cookie. How Kansas City created the original Oreo. That's on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Polls show around 70% of Kansans support Medicaid expansion, which would result in an estimated 150,000 more low-income Kansans enrolling in the health care program. So why is the state one of only 10 remaining holdouts in the country? Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service reports. For Kansas to expand Medicaid, it would need backing from people like House Speaker Dan Hawkins. So what's the possibility of him supporting it? Zero. No. There's no version that I would support. Low-income children, pregnant women, and Kansans with disabilities already qualify for state health care, but expanding Medicaid would open up eligibility to all Kansans, under 138 percent of the poverty line. Hawkins, a Republican from Wichita, says it's too expensive and would benefit people who, in his mind, just don't want to work. Medicaid expansion is a brand new population of predominantly childless adults aged 19 to 64 who can work. With Medicaid expansion, there is no reason to work. They've got their health care now. Most adults who would be covered by expansion actually do work, at least part-time, according to the Kansas Health Institute. Many fall into what's called the coverage gap, meaning they make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough for subsidies that would make other plans affordable. A single mom of two currently has to earn less than $10,000 per year to get Medicaid. And unless she makes over $35,000 per year, she falls into the coverage gap. Those types of examples don't convince Hawkins. You know, how many people are there? Let's say out of that 150,000, that's 10,000 people. So we're going to spend billions in Medicaid expansion for just a few? This year, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly is pushing what she calls a middle-of-the-road expansion proposal. The push is even bigger now because it's an election year, and Kelly says voters could oust Republicans who keep blocking it. Welcome in. It is a familiar call from Governor Laura Kelly this afternoon. For a sixth time, she's calling for the expansion of Medicaid. She says without raising costs for taxpayers. Kelly will add a work requirement to her proposal. That's a Hawkins thinks Kelly's work requirement is too weak. He says Kansas should instead increase the amount of money healthcare providers get for treating Medicaid patients and tackle the state's massive wait list that leaves Kansans with disabilities waiting years for critical services. The expansion debate gets down to fundamental disagreements over the role of government. Some conservatives also tie it to hot-button issues like immigration and gender-affirming health care, including at a recent Wichita Pachyderm Club luncheon. Toward the end, Ed Myers, a retired investor from Newton, stood up. I understand that uh, California is also going to pay for transgender surgeries for illegals under Medicaid. Are those states that have Medicaid, or are they going to be forced eventually by the federal government to pay for the illegals' health care? California does allow undocumented immigrants to get Medicaid, and California's Medicaid does cover gender-affirming care in some cases. But the Kansas program already excludes most kinds of gender-affirming care. A handful of Kansas Republicans vocally support Medicaid expansion, including Representative Jesse Bourgeon of Topeka, who thinks it's pro-family and pro-business. One of the number one issues that I hear from my constituents on is Medicaid expansion, and they can't understand why the legislature can't get it done. Leadership now says expansion will get a committee hearing in the coming weeks. But Hawkins says even if it does reach the House floor... It will not pass this year because there's not the votes for it. 
The stakes are high. A vote would force Republicans to publicly say where they stand, potentially threatening their legislative supermajority. Neil Allen, a political science professor at Wichita State University, says it would make those in swing districts vulnerable to Democratic challengers if they oppose expansion. And for lawmakers in conservative districts who might want to support it? Winning or losing re-election for a rural Republican is really just about winning your primary. And if they do have vulnerability, it's likely for being not conservative enough. Other red states have expanded Medicaid through voter-led ballot initiatives, but those don't exist in Kansas. For now, that leaves the state house and the powerful Republicans who control it as the only path forward for expansion. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Rose Conlin in Topeka. The Kansas News Service is a KCUR-based collaboration including KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Veterinary medicine was once a profession dominated by men, but in the past 15 years, women have become the majority of practicing veterinarians and students. Despite these changes, some areas of the field still lag behind. Harvest Public Media's Lily Halloran looks into why rural animal practices are still male-dominated. Dr. Bailey Lammers admits running her own veterinary practice in rural Nebraska can be a challenge, especially with family at home. When she first started Gavin's Point Vet, Lammer says she constantly juggled new motherhood while trying to build a stable client list. It's a lot more challenging, I think, for the mom, especially with newborns and everything, to be away and have to go on calls in the middle of the night to you know, pull a calf or those kinds of things. At the start of her career, Lammers faced clients who were skeptical of her abilities. Some would even call, specifically asking for a man. Lammer says most of her clients now are really understanding that she's also got a family. And so the ones that don't believe that I should be doing what I do because I am a mom or a, a woman or whatever, those are just not my clients. While nearly 70% of practicing veterinarians are women, the percentage studying is even higher at 83%. Kate Zarney is a second-year veterinary student. She says while interning at a rural practice in Wisconsin, Farmers were often uncomfortable with having a woman veterinarian make livestock calls. They would have to go with one of their male vets first and be like, no, our vet is good. She knows what she's doing. This is part of what inspired the University of Missouri student to become president of her school's Women's Leadership Development Initiative. That's what this organization is focused on, is giving these leadership opportunities to women and helping them build their skills so that their confidence builds and they're ready to go take on leadership positions in their own clinics. She says there's good reason to support female leadership in the industry because women only make up 40 percent of practice owners. In rural areas, the contrast is even more stark, says veterinary economist Clint Neal of Applied Economics Consulting. Those practices tend to be smaller, much more isolated, and tend to be more geared towards working with farmers and ranchers and and people in that aspect, which on the farmer and rancher side is also very male dominated as well. Neil says this means women are unlikely to locate in rural practices, even as those areas experience a shortage of veterinarians. And women are also less likely to own a practice. Men who own their veterinary practices make up to $100,000 more per year than their female counterparts. And pay gaps also exist for specialty practices and other veterinarians. There's like no other explanation that's not 
discrimination based on gender. There's none. That's Dr. Tamara Hancock, an assistant teaching professor at the University of Missouri School of Veterinary Medicine. She says men need to be involved in pushing for pay equity as well. It's not these women need to negotiate more. All these men were able to just negotiate themselves up tens of thousands more dollars. Like, that's just implausible to me. Hancock says the industry still faces plenty of gendered expectations, too, despite the fact that it's now a profession with a lot more women. You know, you pull up in your truck and they called a vet out, but they're not expecting you. And by you, I mean a woman. And you step out and they're thinking there's no way you can do this. And then there's the watch me and you do it. Back in Nebraska, Lammers has built a practice despite those kinds of experiences. She says with the current shortage of rural veterinarians, it's something the industry needs to reckon with. We're going to need everybody to help, you know, raise animals and keep them healthy and keep our food supply healthy. And farmers, she says, will just have to get used to calling a woman. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Lily Halloran. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, based at KCUR. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by David McKeel, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Madeline Fox and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Rosa's story about Medicaid expansion and Lily's story about women veterinarians, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.